0: So today, have you ever felt like the demands of life, the demands upon your life are pressing in And it's like, you just want to catch a breath for just a moment or that the demands come from all kinds of ways. And as you think you've got one settled, another one pops up over here and it's just like coming at from all kinds of directions. It's this moment of going, oh my goodness, like what is going to happen next? How do I figure out what to do? There's so many things that demand our attention, our time. So many things, whether it's situations or people, whether it's work or even just wanting to have a little bit of fun, right? There are so many demands in this world that can hold us and pressure us and cause us stress and anxiety. And so how do we figure out how to experience God in those things? Because the pressures of life don't necessarily stop, they may shift, but they don't exactly disappear and so for today we are going to get into the book of luke and this is a moment it's a healing story actually it's two healing stories with jesus and we read this a few years ago but out of the book of mark it's one of those stories that's found in the gospel of mark and the gospel of luke but not in the gospel of matthew or john And it's a little bit different than it was in Mark, but here it kind of gives us a sense. It's a healing story, but the demands and pressures of life that Jesus is kind of navigating through gives us something really to contemplate for ourselves about how do we deal with when. Those pressures begin to mount. Those demands upon our life come at us from all kinds of directions, and we're not quite sure which way to go, how to find our way through a way forward. So for today, we are going to start in Luke, the 8th chapter, verses 40 through 44. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. A man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. As Jesus moved forward, he faced smothering crowds. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his clothes, and at once her bleeding stopped. So the setting is, there are crowds, people are pushing in on Jesus, probably people who they want to be healed, they want to know who this guy is, maybe they're just kind of curious, maybe they're like following Jesus because they want to be judgmental, so many different reasons for the crowd to be present with Jesus, and they're pressing, they're smothering him, it says. So think about that, so tight. There are days, right? There are days where we're like, the pressure comes from each direction, and sometimes it surprises us, and yet here Jesus is. He's trying to navigate through it, and Jairus, the synagogue leader, shows up and asks for help, asks for healing for his child. His daughter, who is 12 years old, is dying, and Jesus agrees A moment here where so often we find Jesus, where maybe leaders of different types, they come to Jesus and they're being judgmental, they're trying to trap him. But here, the synagogue leader, Jairus, he is ready to get out of his comfort zone. He's ready to ask. He wants to help his daughter. And we can probably relate to this, that when there are so many demands... When there is something, someone, who is absolutely important to our life, maybe it is a family member, a child, a spouse, somebody that is so important to us that we will drop everything and run. And so we can understand how Jarius can go, okay, this is the demand that I have to pay attention to right here, right now, and nothing else matters. We can probably relate to that in particular circumstances. And Jesus says, okay, I'm with you. I'm going. We just, right, just got to get through this crowd. And while he's going, a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years touches the hem of his garment, somehow reaches him, touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed in this moment. She is healed in the way that she needs it. Which is kind of a curious thing because my guess is there were other people in the crowd who might have needed healing. Maybe that's why they had shown up. And so why this woman? Why right now? Why in this capacity? Also to note that she was healed not through a conversation, not because of a a physical action of touch on Jesus' part, not because Jesus spoke some words, but she went after and she was able to somehow touch the hem of his garment and she was healed. So there's something very unique about this moment. Here Jesus has said, yep, I'm on my way to help Jairus. I'm on my way to help this child. He's got a focus. And yet, it almost seems like this other demand might sidetrack him, but it, it doesn't. It does give a moment of pause, but only a moment, a moment to go, wait a minute, how do we respond when, right? We we're on a mission, we're going to take care of and then something else happens. Something maybe we can't exactly explain and how do we choose to respond then? Right? How do we choose to respond in a healing nature to the demands around us? Cuz sometimes demands that are put upon us, they require a verbal response a written response. They require action. Sometimes they require silence. Sometimes they require us to acknowledge and pass on by. And so how can we think about, all right, how do I respond when? I'm so focused on, I've got to get this done over here. But now this has grabbed my attention for a moment. Continuing on in verses 45 through 46. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. All right. So here Jesus goes, wait, hold up, wait a minute, right? Crowds, everybody's pressing in on him. They're kind of smothering, right, as it says. And Jesus goes, wait a minute, who touched me? And Peter's like, "Uh, Jesus, I don't get you, like, everybody's touching everybody because we're all here. What do you mean? And he follows with saying, I felt the power, right? Someone touched me, I know that power has gone out from me. All right, so this is kind of odd, right? Because if you're someone who knows that power has gone out of you, wouldn't you know who got it? And so this moment of going, wait a minute, what in the world's happening? What's another way of seeing this, of understanding this, of trying to follow it along? Jesus is present for Jairus, and yet this moment happens, this no- another demand happens, and he's like, who touched me? And it's a moment of trying to be present. Jesus is trying to be present for the woman, and the wo- as the woman was present with Jesus, she was so present. She was right there. She was so focused on him and his ability and the what he gave, how he gives life, how he is able to cultivate life all around him. She is so pre- present and focused. And for us to think about that, of how we are present with others in the demands of life and the demands that keep on coming and the pressures, because so often We get distracted, right? It's almost like doom scrolling through our phones of how do we become so present? We're able to recognize how God is moving, how God is healing, how God is encouraging. Even when we are so busy, we've got so much going on. We've committed ourselves over here to take just a moment and go, hold up. Where is God? How is God present in this moment? How how do I need to be present with the person that is speaking with me instead of running through the list, all the things I've got to get done, all the the worries and all of the stress and, 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 right? How do we go, I need to not be distracted. I need to be present for others in moments. And it doesn't even have to be very long, but to think of that, That when we feel the pressures of life, how are we being present with others? Continuing on in verses 47 through 48. When the woman saw that she couldn't escape notice, she came trembling and fell before Jesus in front of everyone. She explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you, Jesus said. Go in peace. It's almost like she wanted to to stay kind of quiet. Or maybe she was nervous. Maybe it was like she couldn't believe that it had actually happened that she was finally healed because no one had ever been able to heal her before. Maybe she was just in awe. Maybe she was fearful that she would be reprimanded, but she is trembling and she falls before Jesus' feet. She says, it was me, which he probably knew. But here in this moment, he, he's so present with her, he's so present with what she needs, that not only has he already given her healing just by being present, but now he offers her a word of encouragement and for her to be able to go in peace. All right, so when we feel like we are suffocating from the demands, when things are pushing in, when we are too busy, when our time is consumed, when everybody wants a piece of us and we don't know which way to go first, how often might we begin to go, you know what, I need to ask this question. Where is my presence healing? How can I offer a word of encouragement? How can I offer a moment of peace for those around, even when we feel the pressure on top of us to begin to to shift our own energy of God, hold up, wait a minute, I can offer a word of peace and encouragement in this moment. I can say that sentence. I can be that experience for a moment, for just a second. Jesus hasn't gotten sidetracked. He's still going with Jairus, but he took the moment to recognize the healing that happened by being present with others. He takes just a moment to be able to offer a word of encouragement and faith, of saying your faith has healed you, of building her up and saying you're doing well. It is good. You're good. Go in peace word of encouragement, a word of peace. That when we feel the demands and we feel everybody wants something, that the words that we utter, how often are we able to give uh, just a moment, a sentence, a word of encouragement, or a word of peace? Because here's the thing that we know, right? A word can change our day. Somebody can speak a word to us, And it can lift us so high or it can put us into the depths of despair. And so here Jesus is going, all right, even though everything is going on and I've got so much to do and I've got so many people that need something that I've got to respond to, may the words that I say be an encouragement and a peace. To think about that for ourselves, to kind of let that seep in. To almost use that as the pause button, as things can be so demanding. How do my words and my actions, how how does my presence evoke healing, peace, and encouragement to others? Continuing on in verses 49 through 51. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he responded, Don't be afraid. Just keep trusting and she will be healed. When he came to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. So the news is that the child has died. That as Jesus took a moment to offer a word of encouragement to be present for a healing that may have been like 30 seconds to a minute. As someone comes and says, no, Jairus, your your daughter has died. Don't bother Jesus any longer. Have you ever felt like when the demands are coming and you can't figure out which way to go, have you ever felt that guilt that you've missed something, that you've Not done what you were supposed to do that you should have gone left instead you went right that guilt of going I wasn't there for that guilt of going you're not gonna pick right you're not enough you don't have enough time you don't have enough energy you don't have enough of have we ever felt that guilt and that could be totally internal not because of somebody from the outside saying something Because the guy probably, when he's showing up to Jairus and Jesus, he's like, no, like you don't have to come. The child has died. It didn't mean that he was implying guilt. But how often do we internalize that? How often do we feel guilty with the demands that are upon our life and how we are responding or not responding to them? And Jesus does something kind of interesting here. His response to that, that response to that guilt of not doing, of not being there, of not being present, of missing out, of missing the moment when he should have been, right? Can you feel those voices in your head saying, wait a minute, you weren't there. You should have been there. How could you not have been? Jesus responds with, don't be afraid. Just keep trusting and she will be healed. Don't be afraid. How often when things are demanding, when we're feeling the pressure, when we're feeling suffocated, when we feel from all different sides, everybody wants a piece of that time, that energy from every direction, how often do we begin to allow our fears to take over? Those fears of I should have done, I should have been. How often do our fears begin to kind of pull us down so that the demands of life, the pressure of life actually becomes more intense because of the fears of not enough time, too busy, that fear of missing out, that fear of not being present, that fear of not responding in the way that we thought we should have responded, that fear of fill in the blank. How often do our fears Get in the way of us effectively responding to the demands of life, how often do our fears hamper us from experiencing God's presence of guiding us through those demands, of guiding us in those words of encouragement, and guiding us in being that presence of peace? How often do our fears begin to take over and to spiral And to push on us in ways that are far more detrimental. And what's interesting is when we're thinking about that and going, okay, how do I put a pause on that? I don't want to go into those fears, but it's so easy to start into that path, especially internally. doesn't even have to be external. Those fears internally of not being able to deal well enough with the demands of life, not being able to deal well enough with And here, Jesus does something interesting. He gets to the house, and all he takes in with him to where the child is is Peter, James, John, and the mother and father of the girl. He takes a limited number. He takes his closest apostles. He takes the two who are closest to the child. He has this small little community that is going to be present in this moment. And to think about that for ourselves, of how important our community is, how important it is to surround ourselves with people that can help challenge those fears that don't demand and put more pressure upon us, guilt trip us, but instead are able to be part of that encouraging and healing and peaceful word, just as we are for them, that mutuality. That here, Jesus is showing us the importance of community, the importance of the people that we surround ourselves with, that if we feel like the pressures are too much, who have we surrounded ourselves with? Who are we listening to more than others? who helps us understand what it means for ourselves to be an encouragement, to be the healing, to be that peaceful presence, and that we get to be for them, they get to be for us, and then new possibilities are realized. And we don't get dragged down into our fears, but instead we build one another up. And so to think about that to begin to go, wait a minute, who in my life am I surrounding myself with who kind of drags me into those fears and will not let me go and who helps me navigate in new ways? The pressures of life, they're going to change. They're going to be different from year to year, day to day, but they're always going to be present, whether we can control them, whether we've instigated them or not. And so who are we surrounding ourselves with that helps us navigate, that helps us listen for, because so many times we talk about we experience God in community with one another in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we encourage and heal and are that peaceful presence that God is present when we are loving one another. And so to recognize who we surround ourselves with may help or hamper how we experience God in the midst of life's demands. Finishing up in verses 52 through 56. They were all crying and mourning for her, but Jesus said, don't cry, she isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Taking her hand, Jesus called out, child, get up. Her life returned and she got up at once. He directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were beside themselves with joy, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. All right, so when he gets to the house, there are the the mourners and they are crying, they are wailing, they are mourning the child's death. And Jesus has to pass by them to get to the child. And so as he passes by them, They are like, impossible, like, nope, she can't be alive, and they laugh at Jesus. There are going to be times where the people that we come in contact with are going to try to bring us down, to try to discourage us, to try to give, help us give in or make it easier, I should say, make it easier to give in to those fears of life. And Jesus is like, nope, I am paying no attention to you. I am going and I am helping in the way that I can. And so he says, child, get up. He is there. He is present. Her life returned and she got up at once. Who do we surround ourselves with that go, you know what? Life is possible. The way that we live can change. What we thought was impossible becomes possible. And we may be going, okay, but this is Jesus. I mean, yeah, I wish I could make wishes like a genie in the bottle, but that's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works. Here it's about presence and being life-giving. And so how are we life-giving in all of the demands that we have to deal with, in our responses. How are we life-giving in our responses to those around us? And here, Jesus kind of gives us a sense of how that works, of what we can do. When he first, he directed them to give her something to eat. And we might go, okay, okay. That makes sense? How do I begin to prepare myself for the demands that keep on coming, for the pressures of life? How do I? Okay, well, um, you've got to nourish, right? We've got to nourish ourselves, and we can nourish ourselves in a multitude of ways. Maybe it literally is food. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's meditation. It might be through study, through reading of scripture, through conversations, through relationships, how are we nourishing ourselves on a day-to-day basis that actually will help us navigate life's demands? Instead of giving in to those fears or giving in to those who want to those voices in our head or outside who just want to guilt trip us or make fun of or be judgmental, how might we nourish ourselves to navigate the pressures of life, to navigate in ways that are connected to God, that are connected to something that is life-giving? What are those things that you want to take on today that you know you need to do to nourish yourself properly for navigating the pressures, to navigating those demands? And then he says something He says a second thing that's kind of interesting, and there's a whole lot of speculation around it when he says, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. Often that phrase gets used in the book of Luke, and so there's speculation as to why it gets said. And here, what's even more interesting is, he actually called the woman out earlier, in the crowd, because she could not remain hidden. Instead, he wanted to acknowledge and encourage, and so everybody saw it here. He's like, no, 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 don't talk about it. I don't want you to tell anybody, which we know actually didn't happen because we wouldn't have it written. We wouldn't have this story if no one told anything. And so what if, with the way Jesus is saying it, With the conversation that he's having, what if he's trying to get them to really think clearly, to gain some clarity about how they convey this story, about the words that they use to tell this story, to tell this experience, to talk about this impact upon their lives, to talk about this impact of what happened when God's presence was with them. It kind of goes back to that whole thing about words, and about words that can lift us up or take us down. And to think about that, when we're talking with others about the demands upon our life, what is the language that we use? What is, how do we talk about those demands? Do we talk about it in such a way that it just keeps pulling us back down? Do we talk about it in such a way that we are open to possibility, that we are open to new ways of navigating, to new perspectives, to new ways of thinking? How do we talk about the demands that are upon our life in such a way that are connected to God's healing presence, that are connected to encouragement, that are connected to peace? How do we discuss those demands of life with one another in such a way that makes room for God instead of saying impossible? These two stories of healing, these stories that really come about in the midst of some big demands upon Jesus' time and energy upon his ability to respond as the crowd pushes in, as those demands become seemingly overwhelming. How will we allow this story of how Jesus navigated those demands that day, navigated those demands so that others might know encouragement, might know peace, might be able to push through their fears, might be able to to really understand who they surround themselves with that, that are able to connect to God in ways that maybe we thought impossible. How might we find this story for us challenging and encouraging this day in how we live, how we navigate, how we respond to life's demands? Amen.